Welcome to Wrestling with Theology. My name is Doug Minton. I am your host. I am the pastor at Redeemer Evangelical Lutheran Church in Robbinsdale, Minnesota, as well as a lifelong wrestling fan. Wrestling with Theology wrestles with the history of pro wrestling as well as the theology of the Lutheran Church. Beginning this week and every fifth episode, we will do an update and review of a video that is being uploaded to Green Friday Wrestling on Facebook in the next week. As I record this on Thursday, tomorrow at noon, Green Friday Wrestling will have WWA Bruiser Bedlam Wrestling's episode from March 1st, 1986. WWA was run out of Indianapolis by Dick the Bruiser. The program itself is hosted by Terry Sullivan and Dick the Bruiser. There were five matches on the program, giving about nine minutes for each match, slightly less because of the promos in between. For weekly television programs in the 80s, this is a good average time to keep. This is the first program from WWA that I've seen. Having heard a great deal about Dick the Bruiser's booking ability, I was excited to see it in action. The first match is Chris Carter versus Jeff Stanton. A pretty quick match with Carter winning by submission with the sleeper. The selling of the sleeper was a bit much, but there weren't too many wrestlers who would use the hold as a finisher back in 86. By the late 90s, it had become more of a rest hold so that both wrestlers could recuperate from the action. The second match had Prince Mama Muhammad versus Frankie Adonis. A very quick squash match with a guy who looked like a painted early lad. Then we had a classic match from Dick the Bruiser and Johnny Valiant. Uh, presumably from the heyday of luscious Johnny Valiant's career. A great brawl between these two great northern legends. I don't believe either of them had a great run in the southern territories, but the high points of their careers were in the 70s and earlier. Maybe there's a run from one of them that I'm not aware of. In this match, as well as the previous, the slowness of the three count is almost infuriating. Then we get to Graham's gallery with Dr. Jerry Graham and his tag team partner Bulldog Don Kent. Graham is not quite Rowdy Roddy Piper, although it seems like he tries to do it. But, yeah, not so much. The fourth match on the program had Yukon Moose Cholak versus The Hangman. Yukon Moose Cholak as the ninth wonder of the world. Really? I remember the Yukon Lumberjacks, but coming down to the ring with a moose head on top of your own head? That's a bit too over the top for me. The introduction of Dr. Jerry Graham's Kentucky Butcher was a good distraction to the beginning of the match. The match itself was much more drawn out than I expected it to be. The main event for the card was Don Kent with Dr. Jerry Graham in his corner versus Calypso Jim with Bobo Brazil in his corner. From what I've heard of Jerry Graham, I wasn't expecting the one-on-one -on -one match to last very long. Dick the Bruiser storms the ring to clear the ring from a triple team on Calypso Jim. My question, though, is Bobo Brazil was announced as Calypso Jim's manager. But where was he when the attack happened? Why did Dick the Bruiser have to come and make the save? I'm not quite sure. I am a fan of Bobo Brazil, but I would expect him to come to the aid of his own wrestler. Now, the final comments on the card were from the WWA Tag Team Champions about their upcoming title defense 
And that was a typical 80s regional promoma. Nothing really insightful there. This is the first, as I said, of every five episodes of doing an update as to one of the cards being broadcast on Green Friday Wrestling. I hope that you go over to there on Facebook, like, follow, and watch as we are now entering March of 1986 in what I term as the golden age of wrestling. I'll be back in a moment with the Apostolic Fathers as we look at Didache Chapter 8. This episode of the Apostolic Fathers, we look at Didache chapter 8 as it turns to fasting and also the Lord's Prayer, and then an excursus on what is fasting in the Christian life. So, Didache chapter 8. And do not let your fasting be with the hypocrites, for they fast on Monday and Thursday, but you fast Wednesday and Friday. Do not praise the hypocrites, but as the Lord exhorted in his gospel, thus you shall pray. Our Father who is in heaven, let your name be holy, let your kingdom come, let your will be done as in heaven also on earth. Our bread that suffices give us today, and forgive us our trespasses as also we forgive those who trespass against us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, for yours is the power and the glory forever. Three times a day you should pray thus. Thus the reading of Didache chapter 8. Unfortunately, fasting is enjoyed by the hypocrites. The hypocrites, like the Pharisee praying in the temple and following Jewish tradition, fasted on Monday and Thursday. To keep from being lumped together with hypocritical fasting, Christians are encouraged to fast on Wednesday and Friday. Wednesday is the day of Jesus' crucifixion. The Wednesday of Holy Week was the one day Jesus did not enter Jerusalem. But fasting was not to be done publicly to boost the Christian's ego. These days were standardized by Pope Damasus as the Ember Days, days specifically set aside for fasting around the great feast of the church year, during Lent, after Pentecost, and in September, and during Advent. 
in the midst and as the capstone of fasting prayers, the Didache gives us the Lord's Prayer. The Didache's version of the Lord's Prayer has five major differences in wording from Matthew's Gospel. Matthew has, Our Father who is in the heavens, heavens being plural. The Didache has, Our Father who is in the heaven, being singular. Going to the third petition, as in heaven, also on the earth, with the definite article in Matthew, no definite article in the Didache. Forgive us our sins in Matthew's gospel, sins being plural. Forgive us our sin, singular, collective in the Didache. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Matthew ascribes the kingdom to the Father. The Didache does not ascribe the kingdom to the Father. Matthew ends the prayer with Amen, the Didache does not. None of these differences change the meaning of the Lord's Prayer in the Didache. With antiquity's oral traditions, the differences between the singular and the plural can be easily explained. Also, the lack of verbiage, whether a definite article or the Amen, can be ascribed to a copyist error. The copyist simply skipped the word as he or she was copying the text. Throughout the scriptures, heaven is seen both in the singular and the plural. The singular is seen especially in Jesus' proclamation of the kingdom of heaven, 32 times in Matthew's gospel. The singular appears 75 times in Matthew's gospel out of 492 total in scripture. The plural is seen 210 times in the ESV, 14 times in the creation account, 52 times in the Psalms. It is also found in St. Paul's report of being brought up into the third heaven. Sin is spoken of as either singular or plural. In the singular, it is used for the sinful condition. In the plural, it is used for the collection of individual sins committed. In the Lord's Prayer, we ask for the forgiveness of all our sins. But we also ask for the forgiveness of our sinfulness in the same petition. The encouragement or injunction to pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day illustrates an early understanding of the daily offices of the church. These offices have a basis in Scripture. Psalm 55, 17, Evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Psalm 119, 164. Daniel 6, 10, When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Acts 2.15, on the day of Pentecost, Peter said, For these men are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Acts 3.1, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, Acts 10.9. From the psalmist, the monastic communities of the early church came up with seven prayer hours to accompany the divine service on weekdays. The seven hours were prime, matins, terse, sect, non, vespers, and compline. These hours have their own liturgy and selection of readings. From Daniel and the apostles, we have prayer hours three times a day. In the apostolic age, the three hours were centered around the hours of the cross. Jesus was crucified at the third hour. Darkness descended upon the earth at the sixth hour. And Jesus died at the ninth hour. Now a short excursus on fasting. Fasting 
means intentional abstinence from food, drink, or activity as a spiritual exercise to humble yourself before God so that you can receive his gifts. Fasting was done by both Jews and Christians. The Greek and Roman philosophers never encouraged fasting. However, they believed in a notion of a utopian existence where food and drink were no longer necessary. Christians may fast in many ways. You may abstain from a favorite food, a beloved activity, or a harmful habit. This sacrifice is designed to humble your soul before God. Proper fasting does not include abstaining from something you despise. It can be a total fast with no food or a simple fast with a handful of items being withheld. Fasting is usually done for three reasons. Mourning the death of a loved one, repentance over sin, and preparation for entering into a deeper relationship with God. Each reason has its own source. Mourning is centered in grief. Repentance is centered in sorrow. Preparation is centered in wonder. Fasting for mourning is found throughout the Old Testament. Many times Israel fasted over the death of the ruling king or a prophet. Esther and Mordecai, along with all the Jews in Susa, fasted after Haman published his annihilation edict. This led to the establishment of the annual Purim fast. Fasting for repentance over sins is a result of the law's crushing of the sinful heart. Nineveh fasted after Jonah preached their impending destruction. Nehemiah and Daniel fasted over the exiles returning to Jerusalem. The returning exiles in Jerusalem fasted after Ezra read the law to them, acknowledging their sinfulness. Fasting in preparation for enlightenment is also often found in the Bible. Moses spent 40 days on Mount Sinai fasting before he received the Torah. Daniel fasted before receiving the apocalyptic visions of the latter half of his book. Cornelius received his vision to call Peter while he was fasting as he prayed to God. The church in Antioch fasted while they ministered. During one of these fasts, the Holy Spirit called for Paul and Barnabas to be separated from missionary work. This preparation is referenced by the Didache with regard to baptism. Those who are about to be baptized are encouraged to fast. The baptizing member and as many of the congregation as are able are also encouraged to fast. This fasting before initiation into the Christian church culminated in the first reception of the Lord's body and blood in the Lord's Supper. This is evident especially from the practice of baptism and confirmation during the Easter vigil service. The catechumens were taken from the service of the word, which constitutes much of the vigil service, and taken into the place of baptism. When they were baptized, they went straight from the baptismal font to the altar as the Lord's Supper was being consecrated on Easter morning. The Lenten season of fasting also comes to us as a manner of preparation for spiritual warfare. The Lenten fast is modeled after the 40 days Jesus fasted in the wilderness before Satan's temptations. In this life, Christians are constantly undergoing battles with the evil spirits and desires of this age. As Israel fasted before going into a physical battle, the Christians should fast in order to be prepared for the spiritual battle with sin, death, and the devil. These situations for fasting are encouragements for the faithful. Only one fast was commanded in the Bible, the fast of the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Other days were added in post-exilic Judaism for the remembrance of Babylon's destruction of Jerusalem. This commandment gives the impetus for Jesus to speak about fasting as an activity that a Christian will do when you fast, he says in Matthew 6.16. Just as God instituted four additional post-exilic fast days through Zechariah, the zealous among the Jews in the intertestamental period added two days a week. 
The Didache takes the hypocrite's fast days and encourages those who wish to continue this pious exercise to move it from Monday and Thursday to Wednesday and Friday. While the Didache taught fasting, the contemporary New Testament epistles say nothing about fasting. Without examples of this, many believe that fasting didn't arise for Greek congregations. The Greek world did not see a benefit in fasting. However, the Jewish background of the church becomes prevalent again after the Apostolic Age. Didache 8.1 lists Wednesday and Friday as the proper days of fasting. During Holy Week, Jesus did not enter into Jerusalem on Wednesday. He was presumably fasting. He was crucified on Friday. Therefore, the Christian remembers the suffering and passion of our Lord Jesus Christ while they fast. This becomes important especially as Irenaeus discusses the Easter fast, where Christians were encouraged to fast for the entire time between Good Friday service and Easter sunrise service. The Apostolic Constitutions, written between 375 and 380, describe this great fast coming from the evening of Monday Thursday until Easter sunrise. The exercise of fasting is not simply an individual exercise. It is primarily a communal exercise. God commanded all Israelites to fast on the Day of Atonement. The post-exilic fast were encouraged upon all Jews. Fasting in these circumstances leads to the encouragement of faith in the entire community. Christians come together better in this moment of sacrifice and fasting. This gives the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to work within the community. The Christians at Antioch fasted when Paul and Barnabas were called to become missionaries. Jeremiah charges Baruch to read the words of the Lord on a fast day. Fasting from worldly things leads us closer to spiritual things. While fasting is a profitable exercise, it falls under the realm of Christian freedom. There are no fasts that a Christian must observe. The season of Lent has been historically set aside by the consensus of the church as a time of fasting and prayer to prepare Christians for Easter. Christian fasting is a matter of Christian freedom. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the other who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. So, Christian, do you have to fast? No. Fasting is optional. However, freedom in the gospel should never lead us to throw away what can be profitable. Many Christians who refuse to fast simply do not understand how it will profit their lives. Their sinful eyes don't see the spiritual prophets. They only see the world's prophets. So they avert their eyes from what God may be calling them to do through exercises such as fasting. Thank you for your time and listening to this podcast. If you'd like to hear more, go back to our archives to hear the previous episodes of Wrestling with Theology. Also hear Sunday morning sermons from Redeemer. If you're in the Twin Cities area on Sunday morning, you are welcome to join us at Redeemer Evangelical Lutheran Church at 4201 Regent Avenue North in Robbinsdale, just off of the corner of 42nd Avenue and Highway 100. Just look for Jesus blessing the travelers along the road. Our services are at 9 a.m. We have Bible study at 10.30 following the service with coffee hour in between. We encourage you, anytime you are in the area, to join us for worship and to wrestle with theology with us.